Welcome to Animated Conversations, a series of interviews with brilliant people working in the animation industry. I'm Andy Williams, a producer, writer and director, and today I'm joined by an animation legend, Tim Sewell. He's worked on shows like Dennis and Nasher, the animated Mr Bean series, Have I Got News For You, Danger Mouse, and recently completed series direction on Toad and Friends, an animated series based on The Wind in the Willows. Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for asking me to chat to you, Andy. It's, uh, it, it feels like a privilege, so thank you. Pleasure to have you on. Could you just kind of give a brief introduction to kind of your career path to date? All right. Well, I think <laughs> first I'd like to say that um, while I've been lucky enough to be working in comedy animation for most of my working life, I'm no gagsmith like uh, Tim Vine or someone like that, but, but I have enjoyed a comedy since I was a little kid. Uh, and I think as time's gone on, it's underpinned my approach to my life and my values. It just runs through me like a stick of rock, I think, uh, just the way that I just assess every situation that comes to me, you know. Um, so starting with, like, shows that from my early memories of, like, Morecambe and Wise, Steptoe and Son, Citizen Smith, Porridge, and that... I learned the value of a good laugh at a very young age. Uh, it can be a very useful, smoother of situations. It brings people together. And, and always, as a little kid, I just valued that. You know, I really understood that that can be a brilliant, brilliant thing, you know, and, and, and that it's not an easy thing to do. So, like, um, one of my earliest fond memories is the Steptoe and Son uh sink scene you know from the film you know where he stands up and he puts the box of flash in front of his uh little tadger and uh and, and it's just outrageous you know and it, it's just so we i remember just laughing so hard at that and looking around and everyone in the room was really laughing hard as well my dad had a brilliant laugh but my, the funniest thing also was looking at my granddad who was just kind of he was a little bit tucked in and and he was like you know, I was like, that's so rude, you know, so outrageous, so uncouth, you know, and it, and that was funny in itself, you know, so we were all just laughing at that, you know, so it's just, you know, those set pieces, you know, you just, you, you, you go from that, say, like to Partridge with the nail going in his foot, you know, and Dan, 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 you know, or, or you're trying to get him back into the hostage scene, you know, going through the window with the, you know, and his trousers all falling down, you know, all that, 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 it's slapstick, it's comedy, it's silliness that you need to earn, you know, you can't have that stuff all the time. And, you know, it's appreciating the rhythm. You earn those big moments, so they need to be placed, appreciated, enjoyed, and then sometimes you can refer back to them. You know, it's just it's just that lovely sort of not learning the way that, that these things work, you know, and where these things are best played. Amazing. And so did you know that you wanted to kind of do something like um, in comedy or TV, even from a young age? Well, I mean, it just felt so out of reach. I mean, art, art was my thing at school, and uh, I, I, I was left-handed and very awkward with it. So kicking a ball was out, not very good. I was not crap at football. So so you had to be good at something when, uh, you know, really at school, didn't you? So, so art was my thing. I remember people, like, you know, 
really being a kind of um, just encouraged, you know, and I just think that that is just everyone should be mindful of that, even to little kids, is just a little bit of encouragement can go really a long way, you know. So it became the thing that defined me. And and then I did, I don't know if you did this, we do a foundation course before you go to art Yeah, school, I did foundation know. at Camberwell. Right, so I did mine at High Wycombe. So, so it was uh, drawing with the wrong hand, colour theory, you try everything, don't you? But they were so brilliant. I don't know many people who don't look back at their foundation year with real fondness, you know. It was such a great time of trying everything. I and mean, one of the things that I fell into via that year was photography. So I, 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 I fell into photography more by kind of just, oh, this is great and immediate and you can tell stories with it and all that, you know. So, and I, I love the humanity of people like Robert Frank and Cartier Bresson, Don McCullen, uh, Martin Parr, who, who, and then I, I went to Farnham because um, it was the it was the the, the course you know it was that it was that one and it was one at uh, Nottingham one at Liverpool but basically they were the main courses for photography and for documentary photography so by that time I was thinking right Leicas and you know and and thirty five mil and you know capturing the moment and all that stuff so I loved the immediacy of it I loved I loved photography but I quickly became fell out of love with it because I didn't enjoy the post-rationalising of it because I thought it was all about like you're capturing the moment there's my work it should stand take it or leave it you know and what the best what people got really rewarded for was how they could chat about it and I just thought well that's not right you know I won't always be there to talk about it it needs to stand up for itself you know so and so and it was really kind of competitive macho course so I kind of uh, I got frustrated and I, I but I saw that the animation students just down the corridor were having way more fun telling stories and mixing it up and I thought that's what I want to do so I, I, I blagged my way onto the animation course and finished off my degree doing that great and then and then you after your course um, how did you get started in the industry uh, well um, I grew up in a place called Milton Keynes uh, and everyone in that time was, uh, it was the youth, uh, what, what was it called, the Youth Opportunities Programme, YOPS and things like that and the young, you know, I, I was encouraged, I got, uh, the Prince's Trust helped me out with setting up, uh, like they were really helpful with, with uh, business plans and cash flows and stuff like that, we're getting sorted out. So. And I, I set up a business, so and that ran for twenty years. So that was uh, Trific Films, and um, we ended up being quite innovators. And so you went straight into setting up your own business. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have anything where you kind of worked uh, before, sort of just starting your own thing. No, it was really naive. You know, it was just that whole kind of. Uh, um, I, I mean, I did get basically with my college film it had quite a contemporary look because what I was doing was I was mucking about with like, cause I didn't want to throw away all my photography knowledge. So I was combining live action with, with and, uh, and printing it up, <laughs> printing it up and, and, and then combining it with, with uh, drawn and, and, and uh, art stuff and shooting it again in, in the, on the rostrum. So, so uh, it gave it a quite a contemporary look and there were sort of videos that were, that, that we, I, I quickly got work through that, you know, so, we, uh, we, I, I paid off my overdraft, my college overdraft, pretty sharpish, and then I thought, oh, this is good. 
I'll set up a business. <laughs> you know, how could it be? You know, I've got friends who were setting up like windshield businesses and graphic design businesses. And it just seemed there was a spirit at that time of just like DIY, do it yourself, you know, after the old punk thing and all that. So we were just like, you know, don't want to work for someone else. I'll do it myself, you know, just <laughs> terrific films as well. And at that time, it was like um, all the, a lot of companies were called the names of the people who, who ran it. So there was a one called Baxter Hobbins Sides. I remember them, you know, and they sounded like, to me, they just sounded like a bunch of like uh, solicitors or something, you know, and I was like. It does sound like an accounting firm. Yeah, that's it. I thought, no, we want to, I want people like bank managers to really have to cringe when they say the name. So like, <laughs> so I was the terrific, I just thought attitude, you know, so. Um, and uh, like I say, we ended up uh, getting work straight off the bat. We luckily got a vagrant news for you pretty much straight away. Uh, we worked on Absolutely, which was a sketch show that was made by Moana Banks and Pete Bakey and Gordon Kennedy and people like that. So we really lucked out with doing the sketches and the uh, title sequence for that show. And, that. and we just fell into doing title sequences, lots of them. So that was the bread and butter. And then, um, and then we got eventually into narrative that, that's great how did you transition from the title sequences which you know you're you're telling a story but it's within a very tight um duration um how did you then transition into kind of longer format animation well doing that work and and falling into doing comedy title sequences was really handy because it gave me a real insight into what's involved with making comedy you know and, and until then i hadn't really kind of understood the level of work that goes into the prep uh, and the, the scripts and whatnot, you know. So working on, uh, we were doing the graphics for Avargant News for You. So we were doing all the missing words and all that by hand, handily, in the same room as Angus, Deaton and, and the writers and the producers were working out what, how the story, how the script was going to come together and things was coming in. And they then he'd read it out and we'd be like, we ventured, we, we called ourselves members of the public we were the public so they enjoyed if they could make us laugh that was that was a tick you know so but it was pr quite a, a good brilliant insight into seeing that whole process come together so so that was something and then obviously working on absolutely where people they weren't much older than us but they were producing comedy stuff you know and it was like oh oh, this is, this is what it's about, you know, this is where it's at, you know, like, this is where art comes together with the whole thing, you know. So I, I was really into the idea. So then I, it was, it was a good few years before, you know, we could, we had the opportunity to, to do longer narrative stuff. And we did a show for uh, Channel 4 uh, called The Outlaw. Uh, it was based, based on a cartoon strip by uh, Michael Heath and it was about the last smoker in Britain in a world that's now run by the health police. <laughs> and uh, and Claire Kitson put it out at the week of National No Smoking Day as a real kind of, you know, <laughs> cheeky thing. But that was 15 minutes, right? That slot that went just after Channel 4 News. Do you remember it? yeah. Brilliant. So, because you, you you inherited a great audience, so uh, we drew it all, uh, combined it with uh, like a CG background, like a multiplane environment. So, but the boxes of artwork were the size of a coffin, you know, like the the the, um, the the artwork that we produced. And I looked at it. I remember I had it all stacked up under the stairs in the studio, and I thought that's a problem for a little bloke like me who wants to get into this world. You know, like we can't get by by trying to compete with the big guys 
unless we've got some uh, way of dealing with that problem of huge amount of you know art production. So <laughs> strategic, <laughs> it was a strategic move. But then I became aware of this software that they were using for the big nights that Ashley Baker were using for for that show. And it was very clunky. Do you remember the cutout methodology? Yeah. So, you know, they used the suits of armor to kind of cover up the fact that it was a bit, you know, very cutouty. But that became part of the charm as well of it. Of course. Yeah. So basically, I had a, um, a short that I'd designed and it was Channel 4 commissioned it and uh, I hadn't worked out how to do it. So luckily it was a vector style thing. It was quite a funny script, you know. So cut long story short, sell action, uh, we tried it out. So that, that was a baptism of fire. Um, and, and I remember having a conversation with Giles Pilbro, who I'd worked with on, on uh, at Spit and Image. I'd done some stuff at Spit. And, um, and he was producer on a Vargat News View. And I told him about this thing we were doing. And he said, does that mean you can do animation quickly now? And I said... Yeah, you could, yeah. And he said that. And so anyway, about six weeks later, we did the pilot for a 2D TV, which is a topical sketch show for ITV. And uh, it went and out. That, and that show was pretty, that show was pretty groundbreaking because it was, I think, what had stopped people from really doing that satirical, topical um, comedy show in animation was the idea that you just couldn't turn around animation fast enough yeah. for it to respond to events in the news and yeah. that was the first kind of animated show on a mainstream channel that really tried to grapple with that that's it yeah and um we did 10 minute shows to start with and to be fair i think they were the better shows when it was 10 minutes um yeah but but um the first show <laughs> the pilot went out after a liverpool european game and inherited an audience of seven million wow <laughs> and uh and 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 so uh because and and it, and they said yes, let's have a series, please. But and it was mad because we had absolutely killed ourselves to make that pilot, you know, new way of doing things, all the rest of it. We wanted to make it uber topical, you know, and um, and it was only afterwards that we realised, hang on, they might not have shown it. Yeah, you know, there was a whole point. There was a very there was a very good chance that they were just shown it internally. But they thought, oh, we'll put it out and see how it goes, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so that's just such luck, you know. You think when you look back, you know, when you, at, the time, at the time you think, what do you mean you're not going to show it? You know, it's just like outrageous, you know. But it's just like, of course, it's in their gift, you know. And and uh, and and yeah, Sean Ed William was the commissioner at uh, ITV, and she gave us a go, and it was just yeah, and that was five series we did of that, and that was. Great, you know, real fun time. So when you kind of approach animation and you're doing um, comedy animation, are there a kind of, any, is there anything you're kind of looking to, any problems you're looking to solve or kind of uh, specific questions of the material that you're looking to kind of answer at that stage? The evergreen rules, if you like, I mean, the principles I, I try to adhere to are characters that you can believe in and root for. You know, root for is the important thing. You know, you've got to care. You've got to care about them and their journey and, you know, why they believe that they would be in that situation, believe that they, that the, the relationships of the people they're with all make sense, that you understand that they're with them for a reason, you know, and uh, that, that they continue to hang out with them for a reason. So, and then intriguing, relatable scenarios, you know, the, the and uh, great twists, unexpected outcomes. Uh, and that's great writing, isn't it? And so 
there needs to be a logic that we all buy into as viewers. And 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 and, and the, the thing like I'll go into later when we talk about Mr. Bing, but like he Rowan, he he was always Mr. Logic. Is such he's and his thing was if you're questioning if something could work. Then you're not fully engaged, so you're not laughing, and and I and I think that's 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 right. You've got to bring everyone, give everyone the information they need, so that when they when you're asking them to take a leap, they've got it and they go with it. So yeah, and I mean I think that 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 appreciation goes back my to to uh, Lauren Hardy and things like that. I mean I, I watched Toad in the Hole, which is from 1932, it's one of their early ones, early talkies recently and uh, showed it to a load of little, some kids at the local school and you know obviously Lauren Hardy doesn't get shown now because it's seen as being perhaps a bit violent you know because he gets a couple of black eyes in that one doesn't he and and you know and and well, but they are the, the relatable characters aren't they that we want to root for at the opening scene they're saying we're finally sorted we're selling fish uh we've got ourselves a lovely little business we're, uh, and then he said, but we need to get get uh, get a couple of poles. We just need to fish, get our own fish, and uh, fish for them ourselves, and cut out the middleman. Yeah, great. Let's do that. What we really need is a bow. So then they go out get a bow and comedy and shoes. And uh, it's it's you know it's just it still stands up from 1932. Because the beats in that, you know, the way that he looks to the camera, the way that the you you have enough time to understand what's going on in his head, but he's not saying anything, not saying anything, but you know, ah, right, okay, this is where he's going. You know, it's just brilliant. And and is that a good example of you mentioned earlier when you're talking about Steptoe and Son about the importance of something being a laugh being earned, that that actually there's a lot of stuff that needs to go into to building up to that, um, to the release of that laugh, and and that and those those old shows, those old comedy shows, and just great comedy. Full stop. I think has a really good understanding of how you build the you build up to that and the mechanics of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you think about that scene where Partridge ends up with the spike going through his foot, and then goes in and tries to do the presentation while he's nearly passing out. You know that that. That whole thing is just cringy, isn't it? But you earn the moments of, you know, you, you, you of building it up to, to that ridiculous scenario. You know, if you jump straight to it, you know, it would make no sense at all, would it? You, you, you need to go through the stages so that you understand his scenario and in a silly way, you're feeling sorry for him, you know, and, oh, shit, oh, stuff, things like that has happened to me, you know, everyone's had shit happen to them, you know, excuse me, friend. Um, and uh, you, you, you all relate, we all relate to failure, you know, and that's what, I think that's what us as Brits also, that's how I think, you know, that's and that, the distinction is between us and other nations is we are all about relating to the underdog. We really love seeing, seeing, seeing the underdog succeed and somehow get through a, a, a struggling situation you know so 
Yeah, I think I think that's that's um, something that we should celebrate the fact that we have got that distinction, and and, I, and thankfully, <laughs> and thankfully, other places appreciate it. <laughs> so, so do you think, kind of, for you as a director or a producer, when you come to material, is it kind of about understanding the audience psychology as well in terms of how people are going to relate to these characters? Um, what do they understand about the world that you're creating? Is it kind of putting yourself into that uh, position? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it, like I say, it, it's it's it is about that understanding, given the situ- given the character depth, enough depth, and the people around. So, for example, in Mister Bean, there was Mrs. Wicked. You know, who's the the his landlady. You know, I really based my real understanding of the character on my grandma. You know, and she was quite a domineering uh, um, woman. You know, of you know, she understood her mind. You know, and uh, and she didn't care who, who who she upset in in letting people know the situation. And and so you 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 know you you mine your own experience, don't you? You know, that's that's I think what you what you try to do. But 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 you know, I mean, like um, it was fascinating, like looking at. Um, the, the old uh, the old stuff Laurel and Hardy that, that recently and and I was reminded of something that, that um, Rowan Atkinson gave me which is life is a comedy on the wide a tragedy in close up amazing that's cool isn't it? yeah. it's great it's like you know that it, you you use the silhouette you use the whole body and you let the whole situation happen so that we can understand it's not just the facial delivery it's the whole body we all we, in all those situations, we we either we're either standing up tall or we're slumping or you know something. We all and we all understand that you know and 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 it's pulling on those pull on those those emotions and and adding adding that to the fun. You know, it's it's about relatable situations. I think we understand it as human beings that have also been there. You know, to some degree. You know, and 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 then we and to succeed we want them to become millionaires you know we want them to this time next year you know it's and when they do become millionaires we're not interested <laughs> you know and uh, you know so it's um yeah it's it's clearly defined character relationships are so important and that's something that i needed to bring in when i went to dennis and nasher and leach you know like that I, I i you know i one of my big questions was why would those kids why would dennis hang out with those kids it's just not, you know, though it's not divine. It's not believable because he's a cool geezer with a cool dog. Why would he want? He's got his dog. Why does he need to hang out with JJ and and the other characters? You know, so we needed to work that out. You know, so so yeah, just ask those questions, those awkward questions. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. those are the questions that the audience sort of ask themselves as well. Yeah. Going back to your. Um that quote about comedy being in the wide and tragedy being in the close-up. I somehow think that the beauty of a lot of those old shows is that actually part of it would have been economic, that yeah. you couldn't you couldn't just shoot lots of close-ups because film was expensive and right. and, yeah, and it took a lot of kind of relighting and and, yeah. and and sucked up a lot of time. So so maybe there was an economic reason to stick on the wide, but yeah. But actually, comedy does play much better when you see the relationships between those characters within one shot. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think that the fact that it is now much easier to to pick up the close-ups and do all of that stuff 
sometimes the close up just isn't the right choice. Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah, it yeah. takes you out of the scene. It, 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 indeed, yeah. It's it, it's 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 expensive though, because you know doing wide shots involves more animation. So you know, so my big when I think <laughs> I drove people nuts when I went to work on uh, Toad and Friends, you know, because I gave that that this is my big sort of thing, you know, this comedy it's all about the wide and go in for confirmation you know and um but really you know we also need to deliver shows and you know so sometimes you just can't afford to put everything on the wide you know it's a, it's a yeah. practical response so like you say in the in the, in the back in the day when they just wanted to keep it running to get as much as they could out of that probably hand crank camera or whatever you know it well it wouldn't be hand cranked by sound would it but 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 you know it's it yeah it's about economy then and now it's about economy now you know i remember do you remember that that's um the brilliant, that's a brilliant um, point that kind of in a way it's flipped on its head that the the wide in animation it's worth kind of is a really good reminder that the wide in animation actually isn't is the very expensive option because yeah. you've got more stuff that you need to keep moving and yeah. animating yeah because my thing is like sometimes like like probably I'm getting out of order now, but with Toad and friends like Toad, we all know is a is a privileged individual, and he says some pretty outrageous stuff. And so when he says the outrageous thing, what you want is the funny reaction. You want to see what the other people think of the thing he's just said. And if you were just in on a close up, it wouldn't be as funny. What's funny is how other people are perceiving the thing he's just said. You know, a lot of the time. You know, so so. I fought for that quite a bit and it's just that that is you know because we all we're all we need the other characters to inform the situation yeah so you know if he says something outrageous if we're just in on a mid shot it's just like well, what do I make of that then as a viewer you know as a young viewer but if you if you if you've got the other characters there helping process the information I just think it's just useful you know it just helps the thing along and it's back to that you know, I've always said the other thing, working in the kids' world, you know, it's just like I, I've got this thing about um, you patronise your kids at, at your peril, you know, like that. by the time they're six and seven, they are smart. They've been watching Pixar films, you know, the best stuff available, you know. So why would you talk down to them like they don't know, you know, apart from just give them, give them what, you know, give them some stuff, you know, give them some information and they will be able to run with it, you know, and, and they... Nine times out of ten, they do. You know, it's like back to that wide thing. Another thing that Rowan said was uh, he's into the prosemium arch approach. <laughs> right, what's like, that? What's a prosemium arch? And it's like um, in the theatre, that thing that you that's above the thing that you see the stage in, that's called your prosemium arch. It's, it's like the fourth wall, if you like. You know, it's like with with the way that we work and the idea that you're watching performance. On the wide, and even if you're at the back of the auditorium, a good actor will pull you in for the close in your brain, does the close up, doesn't it? Because you focus on them, you know. And it's like that, um, that was another one of his arguments for let's leave it on the wide. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, that's cool, but we need to deliver this thing, you know. So, uh, it, 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 it <laughs> so, um, we, we you need to be practical and deliver endless wides, just they're just not possible, and and and, and we need punctuation yeah you do need to go break it up you know and looking at mr beam was that because i'd um, i'd imagine and correct me if i'm wrong that 
he maybe came to it with some of the expectations of how you'd do that in live action. Yeah, that works, Tree. Um, and he and, earned a lot of doing it. Yeah, did, was, that, did, was that a bit of an adjustment for him to, to understand that some things you could do in live action, but that they were you know, doable in animation, but potentially expensive or would take too much time? Yeah, yeah. There was a conversation constantly. You know, we, we used to do storyboards unusually to the, we did the voice record, sorry, to the storyboard, which is a bit weird, uh, you know, so he'd, obviously, because there's not a lot of dialogue, although in our series, there was quite a bit of dialogue, but he used to do the, do the scene to the board, you know, and work it, think it through, uh, looking at the board, scene by scene. And, uh, and there was many conversations at that stage, you know, and the, the whole beauty of the way that we, produced our series the second series we did the second series the first digital series um the whole shtick was that we would use the, our skill and judgment to uh um provide rowan's input at strategic time that wouldn't cost a flipping fortune to go backwards you know so get his input because he's the man you know and all that and we respected that and and uh and get his get his input and and, and and he could give us idea. Look at something. Look at a scene. Look at well, it's an animatic. Uh, and then we used to show him early stage blocking, you know, and uh, basically go get him his input at that point. Yeah, great. And sometimes he had some really good ideas and good thoughts, you know. But say them then rather than wait till the end when it would be way too expensive to change it, you know. So it was it was it was just using that. You know, grow uh, the fact that we've done a, we've we've been we've been in this game a little while to think. Oh, how would we anticipate uh, getting him to uh, play and uh, in a in a way that would enable it to happen in a in a way that, that everyone's happy <laughs> and not falling out. Yeah, you know, which is what it's all about. You know, so so yeah, so uh, yeah, so it was weird, weird, weird situation now because I was working with. Steve Coog and Henry Normal at Baby Cow by that time. When, and, and the idea was that I was going to do Mr. Bean on a sabbatical. You know, I would have to go on a holiday and go and, and, uh, and, and do that. I remember I was, I was in Toronto. We were working on a show called Warren United that no one's ever seen. It was a show about a bloke who obsessed with football. And uh, uh, I, the people at Tiger had asked me several times to do Mr. Bean, and I, and I was like, uh, and and each time they asked me, the money went up, you know. <laughs> and uh, and 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 I, I remember having this chat with with Henry, who was a good friend, you know, Henry Normal. We, we, we'd been working together for a while by then, you know. And he said, "Do you want to do it?" And I said, "Yeah, I do," you know. And I think he couldn't quite work out why I wanted to do it creatively, but. Obviously, there's a good reason financially why I want to do it, but but creatively, I, I really did want to do it because I knew that it would be a, a real, you know, forensic level of, of of comedy analysis, you know, and and beats to another level, you know. It's like it's it, it's it was a great great train set to play with, and you know, and I'm so glad that I've I've done that. The when you were talking about Mr. Bean as well. And that tr the difference between live action and animation, it was making me think: Are there? Um, does the animation style, 
do you think have an impact on the type of comedy that's produced? So, for instance, is doing doing comedy in stop motion is that different from doing comedy in CGI or hand drawn animation? Do they do they have a kind of a different impact depending on what the animation style is? Well, I think you just got to think of it from the perspective of the audience again, don't you? It's just like the the, the, the kind of perception of you know of of uh, what what's funny, what works, you know, what, you know, for example, at the moment, there's a load of shows that all look the same, aren't they? Because we're, because the execs just go, well, that's, that's, that, that equals funny. We'll do that, you know, and it's like, but, um, but, but I do think going too stylized can be a problem. I mean, being back a few years ago, we did a show called uh, I'm Not an Animal and we used a photo collage methodology. Basically, <laughs> through pragmatism, we needed to get, it done, you know, so keen to get it made, you know, and then we've been exploring all sorts of other methodologies that were going to be too restrictive or take too long, certainly cost too much money. So, so we came up with this sort of photo collage. Look, I've always been into, as you can imagine from photography, I was always into, you know, the, 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 the um, photo collage. So, so I, I kind of like like that idea. But we did, like looking at it now. It's just I can understand why people found it challenging, you know. And it's like the script was challenging enough, you know. And so then we we we're going for a look that's quite challenging. And I think sometimes the look needs to be underpinned with the great writing. Does that? Do you think that goes back to kind of the comment that you made that Ryan Atkinson was saying about? <laughs> having that very um very kind of um analytical approach to comedy where he'd say i think you were saying that he'd say that if they're thinking about this then they're not they're not kind of fully engaged with the joke and i wonder whether a very stylized animation style might just give the audience too much stuff to be thinking about outside of what the joke and the story is so in some ways, it kind of stops them fully engaging with the story you're telling. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, the other thing is I, I've always thought that, 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 like, for example, I've always had this thing about, you know, the Yank Shankmire films with all the weird oh, yeah, yeah. and found stuff. I've yep. always thought, wouldn't it be great to, to do that but make it dead funny? You know, that sort of, <laughs> that sort of you know, we unexpected thing where you've got like you expect you were going one way you go in you're drawing the audience in a certain direction and then you make it but slapstick and silly you know and funny moments you know and characterful moments you know so i've still got a pang for doing that you know for doing something like that i mean have you seen that guy ainsley henderson who did uh he's done some lovely tactile stuff i mean his film stems is just oh, yeah, I've heard of that. you know it's yeah. beautiful you know and it's like uh, all his stuff's ace, you know, but but what he does is he works in the sort of um, tactile place, you know, it's it's all very real and found and, you know, and I, I love that, but, but and and I wish that um, uh, our, our tastes were wider, you know, a broad taste in terms of the stuff that we produce for, for, for comedy, for, you know, like the, the big, <laughs> lucky the shows that you know I've been privileged to work on you know like the that the, there could be more of a appetite for more quirky styles I think that there yeah there is a thing to be said for um for yeah I, maybe you're asking the question a bit too much but I think once people are engaged 
they're on the bus, they're with you, aren't they? So if you can give them a good enough reason. And, and sometimes a very stylized animation, that can almost be part of the joke, I think. Yeah. So, you know, Terry Gilliam's stuff for Monty Python, <laughs> yeah. um, kind of the humour is the way it looks, is the style of the animation. That's a big part of the joke, really. That's right, yeah. And the simple kind of, you know, sudden movements, you know. It's, it's, when I look back to the 2D TV stuff, and we were doing a stupid amount of output. You know, we used to make right. 12 and a half minutes of animation in the four days running up to each transmission. Wow. So you say that quickly, it doesn't sound like much, but it's, that's a lot of work, you know. And... And, you know, that all needs to be thought about. And, and so, and we did, <laughs> George Michael was a fan of the show. He liked this sketch that we did where him and, uh, um, and, and um, uh, Jerry Halliwell and, uh, and, and um, oh God, it's gone out of my head. Um, uh, um, anyway, so they were all basically showbiz mates, you know, and, uh it, it was, uh, he, he phoned me up. He said, uh, um, uh, I want, uh, will you do us a video? You know, and I thought it was, it was John Coulshaw having a laugh, you know, so uh, <laughs> it, 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 we, it was, it was ridiculous, you know, so it's quite a camp voice on there. So we, 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 I was like, uh, okay, yeah, let's, let's meet for a chat. And when we met for a chat and it was him, you know, and it was like, and yeah, and then three and a half weeks later, we'd done the video for Shoot the Dog, you know, and it was wow. some great times, you know. We, we, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, um, it, was, it was great fun thing to do. And uh, again, he was a real mind. He was a real intelligent guy. He, was, he, he looked at some of the stuff we did and he came up with some real observations, you know, real life. Like at the end, there's a bit where they're all done, the, him and George Bush and... and Blair all dancing, and, yeah. and uh, it, it, he said, "Why not have the sky changing colours on the beat?" You know, it's like so much, so easy to do, and you know, and lifts it, you know, another level. You know, and I remember that one. And uh, but some of the some of the animation in that is pretty ropey, but but it gets you through. You know, but as you said about Terry Gilliam stuff, sometimes the simple stuff's quite charming. You know, and yeah, you know, and and sometimes. I mean, particularly with the Gilliam stuff on Monty Python, in a way, the fact that it, that it is quite scrappy, um, it it kind of feeds into the whole um, subversive uh, idea about all of that comedy anyway. So it kind of yeah. feels like it's a really, really a reflection of that. Yeah, I mean, I remember loving Bob Godfrey's stuff as a kid, you know, the, the yeah. rhubarb and custard. You could see the the, uh, the marker pen scribbling away, couldn't you? You know, you knew that it was handmade. You know, and yeah. uh, and and later on, I've come to really appreciate some of the stuff that that did. You know, his DIY animation kit is one of the funniest films uh, you can see. You know, it's just brilliant. You know, and it's all about just a, a crash bang one up dead simple stuff. You know, and it, it comes out of that. You know, it's very much coming out of that really to the sort of dada approach to collage and 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 art you know it's where it comes together it really does you know and, and yeah. i think we've got we've got we as we all sort of chase ourselves down the, the technology you know um uh, spiral you know we can sometimes forget the charm of of, of uh, the simple a joke told simply you know 
Yeah, absolutely. Because we've both had that art college background. So kind of the sort of Dadaist movements and the Surrealist movements, I think there's loads of stuff that's kind of amazing about that. Um, But what kind of differentiates comedy from a lot of the other things and really separates it from the students that you went to the photography course with is that the joke either works or it doesn't. Um, And there's no amount of justifying kind of what you meant to say after the event if it didn't get a laugh on the screen or in the room. Um, Is that kind of one of the things that that really appeals to you about comedy stuff is that you have that, you know, you can't, uh, Tim can't then get up and say, well, what I meant to say was this. It's kind (laughs) of either it works or it doesn't. Yeah, and but that's the beauty of animation. It's lucky thing we're in, isn't it? That we have that opportunity to think about it for days, you know, and what, go back to the animatic and go, actually, what about this? If he does this now, you know, and you know, we plus it at every level. Like think about the music and the sound effects. Sorry, sound design. You know, like all those elements help you highlight or you know, or, or the joke or pull you in a certain direction, don't they? So. So it's, we get in animation so many goes at trying to make it funny, <laughs> you know, and, and compared to, I mean, one of my dreads, I used to have this recurring nightmare that I was on stage as a performer with no material, you know, that, that idea of trying to, trying to do comedy without, without um, a stick in mind, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it, I remember chatting to Paul Merton about this. It was um, we we were at the, one of those many dinners at the end of a, of a series. You know, and there's all the writers there and, and, and that lot. You know, and and, uh, and and he said to me, "Oh, you, you're the guy that does the animation." Yeah, yeah. So, and he said, uh, "He said I was uh, I was at a dinner recently. You know, an awards do for all the cartoonists, the best cartoonists in the Britain. You know, and." Uh, and I chatted to them afterwards, and I said to them, "If you could uh, have your time again, uh, would you be a performer rather than a cartoonist?" And they all apparently said they all said yes. They all said yes. I'd rather be a performer, you know. And 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 at the time, I thought, "Oh, I'm not sure." You're put, you're telling me that story to put me down because I've made this choice in life, you know, to go in this direction, you know. And and at the time, I thought, mm, "Yeah, I'm not sure. I like that," but. I kept it, and I've got to say that that I've I have a huge amount of admiration for comics. You know, I, I've worked with Lee Matt, Lee Evans and Lee Mack, and, and and you know, and, and years ago I used like I say worked on like News View and Dominic Holland, uh, Tom Holland's dad, Spider Man. Uh, Dominic Holland was doing the warm up. Um, and I used to watch him do his warm-up, and some weeks the jokes would land, and other weeks the same material wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't land, you know, and it's, and you'd understand why. You'd come to understand why that gag didn't work, because he didn't give enough setup for it or whatever, you know, and, you know, all the, you know, something happens and there's a distraction, he has to deal with that and then go back to it. And, you know, that, that to me, became another, ooh, fascination. You know, and and uh, yeah, so I I I think that yeah, I I like going back to say when I was take 
being, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Tim Vine gagmeister. But what you got to understand is like the Tim Vine. Well, what, what we we all celebrate and understand. We all understand and being patronising. We all understand that Tim Vine sits there and sweats those jokes for days and days and days and weeks and weeks, getting them to work, and then he remembers them, and then. He, and then he can regurgitate them. You know, that's his thing. You know, it's a, totally. it's a very deliberate and, and, in, and there there aren't that many creative areas where I feel like even when somebody becomes very successful, they they still can kind of expose themselves to, you know, pretty brutal audience feedback. Because, you know, there's nothing more brutal than being a comic and standing up to a room that isn't laughing. Yeah. But but that's but they kind of seek out that information and and then go back and rework and re-engineer stuff yeah. in a way that a lot of other creative areas can become quite insulated from from that kind of raw feedback. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it is about reworking and reworking. I've seen, you know, like so many comics doing early stuff you know and then going on with a notepad pad you know and i remember uh um richard herring i saw him doing some stuff where he had a notepad and he was just working through it you know and it's like well, that didn't work you know and uh and and obviously just work honing what's going to be in there you know it's like um yeah so so um it's um yeah, it, it, no one. The, the whole thing—it's like a swan swimming in it. It's—it's it, it's, it's back to that. No comic ever, even Ross Noble. You know, it was all about improv. Apparently, do you know what I mean? It's all about. Yeah, it's all about prep, prep, prep. Loads of it. Preparation. What happens if this happens? And I'll go in this direction. And it's all about having that gear in your head. You know, those two hours of crowd control, holding it in your head. You know, and that's heavy, heavy, heavy duty. You know, it's uh, it's 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 a different a different way of looking at it than we have to do. <laughs> we we get to sit here on our own, mind our own business, don't we? And go waking up in the morning, going, that would be good. I'm going to put that in. You know, and you, you get you get the chance to do it. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it is more like you said that there aren't that many areas where you can go back and say, well. Maybe if we we do something different with the music here, maybe yeah. if we add a couple of frames here, it will make the difference. It's yeah. it's not really entering the ring in the same way that stand up is doing <laughs> no. when they go yeah, onto the stage. It must be terrifying, must not it? It must be absolutely terrifying. I don't sort of envy that. Well, I mean, but I I can totally understand the thrill of coming out and having a, a set that kills and everyone's laughing. I mean, that must oh, be exhilarating. The power, the power. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. The maximum power, yeah. Talking about uh, working with comedians, one Toad and Friends, um, Toad was played by Aid Emerson. Yeah. Yeah. So could you talk a bit about how how that works and how you kind of work with a voice performer like that to to really bring out that character. There was someone else in line to play Toad when I got on the project. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, let's not say it. Well, but but someone <laughs> else. Like, and uh, lucky for me, that person said something pretty outrageous in the the media. So I, I, I oh, was right. giving it. Well, why do we want this person representing our show? I yeah. I think we should get Adrian Edwardson. You know, and <laughs> uh, and and I lobbied hard to get you know because. 
is a comedy hero, obviously. But now he has that gravitas. You know, he's he's a sixty year old bloke with with all that. You know, and lucky for me, he'd uh, enjoyed reading uh, Wind in the Willows to his grandchildren and his kids. You know, so he he had a very good understanding of where the character was. So I remember writing endless notes for briefing him. You know, I went down to meet him and I said, Toad's this, Toad's that, Toad's the other, you know. And he went, yeah, I've got something in mind, you know. And and he he went in the room and, and did a test, you know, and we were like, this is it, this is brilliant, you know. And then, of course, it's a it's a conversation, you know. There, there, was, there was a lot of the time, you'd do a performance and it'd be brilliant. But then so many times there'd be situations where I understood the context. You know, I understood the bigger picture. And I said, well, this is going to happen and this is happening. So what about if you try it like this? And then he'd screw his face up and then he'd have another run. And, and, if, it, and if it was good and it, it normally was better, uh, he'd laugh very generously. And I was like, yes, you know, that he's... Like Rowan, he's a real comedy technician. You know what I mean? He loves the process. He doesn't need to do this now, does he? He probably could sit on a beach if he fancied that. But he absolutely loves doing this stuff. You know, so uh, he, he, he was Scrooge in the role uh, at the, at the, um, in Stratford last Christmas. You know, he, he's, uh, he, he loves doing... Sorry if my computer pinging away um but uh um he loves to do this stuff he doesn't i think now enjoy the whole killing process of writing material and developing material and then going out performing in tours and the rest. i think he loves to come in do a voice thing like with us with a good script and then work it through and add that without that that conversation about why it's funny and how and and <laughs> and I really enjoy working with him the best thing is just that he just was uh, uh, like a brilliant enthusiast and he appreciated that I had a craft as well and we had the conversation you know so it's um yeah that that was always good working with people who get it you know it's and it's just I've worked with some great people who did just voices, you know, they voice people who do great impressions or whatever, and it's that's fine for a, it's good for a short sketch or something. But for character comedy, you need actors. You know what I mean? You need actors who get it, you know, who can really chuck themselves into the character, ask all the questions about the character, who are they, all the rest of it, so that they can pull on it, you know, make give it do it with conviction, you know. I saw him in a thing. Did you see that thing called The Trip, which is about a uh, true story of Philip Jones. He's, uh, he was a world-renowned professor and director of climate research in the university, uh, in a British university. And he got at the heart of an international storm because he'd, uh, and he became a huge victim of cyber terrorism, you know, because he'd, he'd used the word, the trick, to do with the rings analysis of trees and what how you can see climate change through the, the trees and uh, the way that they that, that things evolve and it just completely backs up uh, global warming and all that stuff. But anyway, he was in that. He was an academic in that. And I flipping loved that show. It was just so brilliantly done. It's a serious role. He, he played it with utter, utter conviction. You know, and that, I think that's... I mean, we've seen some in situations where comics 
play serious characters, haven't we? And they do it so well. Well, in terms of kind of voice direction for animation, do you, when you approach that, are you looking for as many different options and reads as you can get? And then in some ways to kind of work that out within the edit, or are you looking to kind of really define what the performance is in the in the session? Well, for practicality, we had to do, on Totem, for instance, we had to do each voice separately, you know. So in that situation, you can ask for uh, runs at lines, you know, or runs at a scene. So we have a run at a scene. And then, uh, and generally, the first couple are a bit ropey because they're just getting into it. And you've talked about it and stuff, but they're just getting their head around it. And uh, and then then you... Then, then you, then you have another chat, and then they have another couple of runs, and then, well, basically, yeah, we just, and then I just sort of go through with the editor, I just say uh, three from uh, line two, that from line one, you know, and so we, as a literally a patchwork quilt, we're making, we're pulling out the best performances of each each scene, you know, and, and pulling them together, you know, and then when you go to the edit and you marry them with the other voices, sometimes those decisions weren't the right ones. So, but you find, you find out, don't you? So, um, but yeah, we tend to try to uh, work with the actor and, and give them as much as they can so that they can go have a go. But then obviously we're trying to come at it from understanding the whole bigger picture and, and have that conversation. And that's where it comes in. It's just a, it's just an, a, a conversation with, with people coming from a different perspective. It's not, there's no right or wrong, you know. You can't sometimes, but... And that's what you what you want the surprises, isn't it? Really, do you see your direction as providing context for kind of what's happening within that scene, rather than rather than getting too detailed in terms of because you have some um, voiceovers, you have some directors of voiceovers that almost kind of tell them how they want it to be performed, um, and then I think a different approach is to explain what the context of that performance is, but give space to be surprised by the performer is uh do you kind of lean more towards that kind of that approach yeah very much so i i, I think it's you don't my dad had this brilliant expression you don't have a dog and bark yourself that's great and it's just like this is a team sport you know it's just like why would i hire these brilliant actors and then tie them up in knots so they can't do their own performance. You know, it's just like you give them everything they need and then let them go at it, you know. And, uh, and and there's definitely a few directors that do the barking as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then it's just all about them, isn't it? And it's just like sometimes, great, sometimes, we all know directors who can produce the goods with that approach. I mean, yeah. I don't subscribe to that methodology. I yeah, just yeah. don't think, we, well, I don't think you get the best out of people when you telling them what to do all the time. And that goes across the board, across everything. The whole sport of, of, of animation production is just like you treat people like they want to be treated and you give them everything they need to do good work. It's like as simple as that. It's just like with the animation teams, you hire brilliant people and then you try to, everyone wants to do a great scene and contribute to the, if they've read, the, they've seen the animatic, it's made them laugh. They want to be part of that plus in, process don't they so that's the best thing is when you're in a situation where you've given them all that um privilege and on uh, opportunity to work on something great and be you know so it's all about the team you know and that's the that's the best thing is when you can be in a situation where all you're doing is you're going there you go 
<laughs> Off you go. Enjoy yourself. Fill your boot. And it's just that that is that's the that's the dream when you can get to a place where you know uh, where all you're doing is just setting them up, you know, and you're letting them run with it. You know, it's like the show I would just came off. I was chatting to a woman uh, uh, in Annecy. She came up to me and she said, "Oh, I, I, I've worked with um, Wildchild before, and they were telling me about you." She said, "They said you're the glue," and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's good. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt." You know, it's like it's like that. That was the you know that that's basically how they saw me. I suppose it's just like there were some brilliant, great people on that production. You know, there was. Uh, uh, you know, Will and Rory were the. They took a story, a, a, a script each. So, uh, uh, the way I remembered it was Will was odd. Yeah. And uh, Rory was even. And uh, and then there was Vicky um, Harworth, who was the animation director. And she was the one who was constantly getting uh, getting frustrated with me about wide shots, you know. And it, and and we had this little. Rough and tumble to 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 get it to get it together, you know. But ultimately, we're we're um, we want we want to give. You're all on the same team, team ultimately, and on it's the same kind of team. yeah, yeah. Just like the best football managers, they're not out there kicking the ball themselves, are they? Is they're not. Right? Yeah, no, and just, you know, yeah. and sometimes the best football managers are asking for stuff that um, that some of the members of the team might be kind of resistant to or kind of roll their eyes at, but actually, um, it works in the end and everyone's happy. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. It's just a team sport. You've got to remember that, you know, and it's just like that. I, I, um, I, all we're doing is producing funny adventures, aren't we? Funny little adventures. You're hoping that kids and families are going to enjoy, you know, but, but, but to do it with conviction, is is what it's all about you know and, and uh you you're offering characters you know that will hopefully you know with with totem friends what you're trying to do is just help them navigate this increasingly tricky world you know uh, it's about friendship ultimately you know it's just like they're not they, they, they there's a bit of grit in the oyster sometimes they they fall out but by the end of each episode they're they're um it's all sorted you know and it's it's um we're hopefully Giving them those little adventures with it, and and they, 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 it's not you know they they're taking it with a with a smile and a sense of adventure. And they, it was um, that one the other thing apart from friendships, we're celebrating the outside, you know, celebrating the, the real yeah. life, you know, and uh, the joys of getting out there. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's which is easy for us middle class people to talk about, but. Like when I was when I was on Danger Mouse, one of the things the BBC got us to do was go out and do these things where you're talking to kids in schools, you know, around Salford and the area, yeah, yeah. you know. And it's evident there, you know, that a lot of kids they don't go and play out, you know, in or never get totally. to play outside, you know. And um, yeah. that that the great that you know, we all know the, the joys of getting outdoors, you know, and and uh, and obviously Toe and friends. It's on the riverside, you know, and uh, so it's about joys of getting out there. And <laughs> we um, apparently we saved eighty-eight tons of CO two using Unreal, which is rather apt. Right, you know, about amazing countryside. So, because Unreal is a really cool way of doing CG, you know. So, yeah, it's just like the the one the thing that did it for me was apparently when Pixar's render farm. Yeah. And Pixar did their, all the big movies and stuff. They, their render farm 
it used this it's like you know great big flipping warehouse full of computers chugging away the maths you know and uh, it used the power equivalent of downtown San Francisco wow how <laughs> bad is that crazy this, the new way of doing using Unreal to render means that you're just using the machines around the office and the little rack of computers and that's it because it just uses the games engine to to render so I, I see that that's going to be a real liberation for little teams to produce CG at a very high quality. You know, so it's, uh, I think it's a really interesting future. You know? That's great. Well, I think that's probably a great place to kind of wrap it up. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show, Tim. It's been really, uh, it's been really fascinating. Cheers, Andy. I've enjoyed it.